Welcome to At the Corner of Goff and Ellis, a podcast on the intersectionality of race and gender and its impact on young women of color. This show is hosted by me, Olivia Flores. Today, I am joined by my mom, Andrea Flores, a Sacred Heart Cathedral graduate from the class of 1992. Welcome to the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself before we begin? Sure. Um, My name is Andrea Flores. I am your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am a graduate of Sacred Heart Cathedral. I graduated in 1992. So this is my 30th reunion year, actually. Um, I am a mother. I'm a wife. I have worked in education for a long time, about Mm -hmm. 25 years, probably. Um, and currently I do fundraising and philanthropy for another Lasallian high school, actually in Napa, where we live, uh, Justin Siena high school. Um, but I've for many years worked directly with students doing direct service, either in, in secondary schools and other Catholic uh, and public schools and nonprofit organizations and higher ed. So I've been in education in many different uh, capacities, but always working with and for students. How did you come to attend Sacred Heart? Um, And can you tell me about your overall experience as a student there? Yes. Uh, So I didn't think I was going to attend (laughs) Sacred Heart Cathedral. In fact, um, my first three years of high school, I did not go to SHC. I went to presentation school, high school. However, in the late 80s, early 90s in San Francisco, what was happening was this um, migration out of the city. So the Catholic high schools, especially, were starting to see real declines in enrollment. Um, The earthquake that hit in 89 caused St. Rose to close. That was another all-girls high school. Mm -hmm. Um, St. Paul's had closed in 1990. Um, In 1987 is when SHC sorry, Sacred Heart and Cathedral High School merged. So at the time, SHC was maybe the only co-ed Catholic high school in San Francisco. Hmm. Um, So, because SI wasn't co-ed yet, or in 87. So anyway, um, so I went to presentation, assuming I was going to graduate from presentation like my sister. Mm -hmm. Um, But because enrollment was declining and the sisters were aging and it was just becoming more expensive to run um, tuition driven high schools, um, presentation decided to close when I was a junior. And that was devastating. Um, Mm -hmm. I I loved my experience at an all girls high school, fully intended to to finish there, like I said, but um, that wasn't a possibility for me. And so I had to make a decision. My parents were actually pretty surprisingly cool about like, it's one year, go where you want. And I thought the time, all the high schools pretty much cost the same. And there wasn't really any mm-hmm. for us. We were just working middle-class and weren't qualifying for any financial aid or anything. So um, I visited Mercy, San Francisco. Oh, did not like that. No <laughs> offense to all the Mercy girls out there, but just having been at an all girls high school for three years, I was like, Ooh, wait, this is my chance to go, <laughs> to go to a co-ed school. <laughs> so I did visit Mercy. I visited Mercy Burlingame. I visited Sacred Heart Cathedral. And, and I think the thought of having a year <laughs> to go to school with boys, to be perfectly honest with you, <laughs> I was all for that. Um, so that's how I ended up at SHC and actually like all of my best girlfriends, um, except for one, um, actually, except for three, we all went to Sacred Heart Cathedral together. Um, 
and so there was a group of 10 of us that were pretty close at Prez and, and seven of us went to SHC and three of us went to Mercy, um, <clears throat> San Francisco. So we pretty much stuck together and I got there as a senior and, um, it was not a great experience to be honest with you, which is funny because I remember, um, it wasn't a great experience academically, or I think in terms of like what I needed, because mm -hmm. coming from a smaller all girls high school, I felt very seen, like I was super involved. Like it just, I, I, I felt like I was on a path to do something after high school. And when I got to SHC, um, nobody knew who I was. Mm -hmm. The school was like five times bigger than my high school had been. Um, obviously the boys became a major distraction for your mother. <laughs> um, and you know, I, nobody knew who I was and nobody was really advocating for me. And so I definitely was a student, I think, who fell through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a first generation to college student. So my older sister was the first in our family to go off to a four-year college. Um, and so I didn't really know what I was doing, mm -hmm. um, and was just trying to follow in her footsteps. But ultimately, um, I ended up like not really having a good count. I didn't have a counselor. I don't even remember who my counselor was, honestly, my senior year. Um, and so nobody was really keeping an eye on me. And, and when I approached um, the college counselor, who at the time was Bill Corkery, um, and asked him for a community college application or enrollment form, it's not even really an application, he kind of handed me the form and sent me on my way. And nobody ever talked to me about how my grades or test scores or extracurricular activities or work experience. Nobody ever talked to me about how I should look at four-year college options. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, that's, that's honestly like something I really remember about my time there is I just felt like nobody knew who I was. Um, and I didn't have a ton of time for anybody to get to know who I was. So mm -hmm. it was a hard, it was a hard year. Socially, it was a lot of fun. I had a really <laughs> good time, but I think in terms of my like trajectory, it definitely took a, a hard left. And, um, I got a little bit lost, I think in the shuffle. Were you able to join any extracurriculars, other activities in your last year there? So, like I said, I mean, at, at Prez, I had been really involved. Like I was in stage crew and I was on student council for three years and I um, played tennis and, you know, was just did a little bit of everything mm -hmm. at SHC. Uh, I don't think I did. I, I couldn't even tell you. I remember I tried out and was in the, um, we used to have like a lip sync contest. <laughs> like, it was called, it was called Airband. And um, one of my friends from Prez, Jessamy Cadigan, and two of the SHC girls, um, Lace and Terry, all four of us were in an air band and we did a, um, we did a lip sync that actually got us qualified. So <laughs> um, it, was, it was a, it was a salt and pepper song, to be honest. So anyway, that was my, probably my involvement was, was doing an act for air band. I don't remember doing much because again, I think I was just so distracted by the social scene at that school mm -hmm. that that was my main preoccupation aside from working. I worked a lot. Actually, I probably worked like 25 hours a week when I was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. I had a couple jobs <clears throat> and um, that was, that was probably what I was most involved in. And like, you know, supporting games and sp maybe spirit club. I might've been a part of, I remember going to a lot of games and stuff, but other than that, no, not really. 
um, how have you stayed connected to SHC after mm-hmm. you graduated? So, I mean, honestly, I think if, if you would have asked me then at my 17 year old self, if I would still be connected to SHC, I probably would have said no way <laughs> because I didn't feel very connected to it. However, um, I think, so, so the reason why I'm still connected to SHC is because, um, I worked there. So when I was after, actually just after you were born, <laughs> um, your grandfather passed away and he and my mom were still living in, in Delhi city. Um, and at the time, and so, um, I lost my dad very suddenly. I was very surprised by it. He was young. He was only 60 years old and it kind of shook our family to its core. We were living in Oregon and, um, I just felt this immediate pull to be back closer to my family in San Francisco. So, um, like one day it was, maybe a year out, you were about a year old. And, um, I, I just was like, I want to go back home. I want to be closer to my mom. Mm-hmm. And I jumped on the SHC website. So I was like, well, where can I work? I was working in nonprofits. I was working with high school students at the time. And I thought, well, I can work at a high school. <laughs> and I happened to jump on the SHC website. Um, it was 2005. Yeah. 2005. And they had an opening and I applied for that job because I, I talked to your dad and I said, you know, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't mind working at a high school. I, I, I liked the idea of being around students 24 seven versus mm-hmm. like what I was doing, which was being an external partner to high schools. Um, and so I applied for the job. I didn't get the job. However, they created a job for me because they were starting a new program called the Pure Scholar Program, which was basically what I had been doing in Oregon. It was... Um, it was creating a new scholarship and academic and financial support program for first-generation low-income students. Mm -hmm. And they didn't actually have someone to run it. So um, they decided it was time to basically create the position, the director position to start running that program. And that's what they hired me to do. And, and actually that's what led me to work in, in LaSalle high schools for the last, how many years ago was that? 17 years. Mm -hmm. So I've been working for the Christian brothers for 17 years now. So that's what brought me back and reconnected me to Sacred Heart Cathedral. I worked there for three years and we moved back to Oregon. And now um, your father works there and now you're graduating from there. So now I feel this immense connection because Mm. now we have another generation that's gone to school there, second generation, your second generation. And then um, I have all these amazing students and colleagues that I worked with and that I worked um, for and I, I just think like the place it is now is very different than what it was like when I was there. I, I mean, a lot of things are different about it. a lot of things are the same. And maybe I just wasn't able to see it when I was there, mm-hmm. but um, it's a, I think it's a phenomenal school. And, and I think um, the diversity of the school, the, the dynamism of the activities and the types of conversations that, that your school is able to have with you because you're an urban high school, mm-hmm. um, I think is, is great. I hope those conversations are happening because that's what I expect of the school, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. Going back to your experience at SHC, um, your high school experience, how did you feel that your gender impacted that experience? Mm. So this is interesting. I, I, I'm, I wonder, I don't think it's as, I I don't think those differences are as intense now as they were then, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's a there's a saying that existed back then, um, 
and that you kind of will hear older alum talk about, but there's this, this phrase called brothers boys that mm-hmm. exists in our LaSallean high schools. I'm not sure. Have you ever heard of this term before? No, I haven't. So brothers boys. So, so most of the LaSallean high schools, when they were created, were single sex high schools, right? So mm-hmm. Sacred Heart High School was the all boys school and Cathedral High School was the all girls school run by the Daughters of Charity. So it, you know, anytime you have single gender education, yeah, there's going to be a very kind of pro, I don't know, male dominant kind of vibe at an all boys school. I would Mm -hmm. think I didn't attend one, but I would guess. And an all a a single gender women's high school is going to be very, you know, women empowering, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things you would expect from a very, um, from a school or educational organization that only educates in that, that gender. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is when I get to SHC, it's a co-ed school. It only been a co-ed school for, for this, maybe the fifth year it was co-ed, but there was definitely this sense at that time that it was still very much a brother's Hmm. brother's school. It was a, there were brother's boys Mm -hmm. and, and things that boys did at the time there was a lot of second and third chances for the male students mm. that I, I don't know, you know, maybe the girls were just better behaved in general, <laughs> but um, there are a lot of things that I remember um, boys doing or rules that were being broken or honestly things that were being done, <laughs> like breaking laws that the kids would do off site off campus mm-hmm. and they wouldn't spelled for. And there was a definite sense if you were a girl on that campus that, that boys were treated differently. Mm. So that's what I remember most. And there was a, I won't go into detail because I don't want to out anybody who was involved in this particular thing, but um, <clears throat> there was property that was damaged um, by members of the baseball team when mm. we were there. And I, I don't recall any of those boys being expelled for that. Mm-hmm. And some of them were my friend. Um, and, and I remember all of us were appalled when we heard what happened um, but you know, you don't have the language or the, the, or the confidence to approach administration when mm-hmm. you're 17 years old to say, you, you need to hold these students accountable for what they did. They, mm-hmm. they basically destroyed someone's livelihood because of the damage that they did. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think a lot of times you chalk it up to other well, kids and kids will be kids and, but yeah, they're definitely, I think at the time, it definitely felt like if you were a boy, you could do no wrong. Hmm. The other thing I remember too, in gender very well. And I think this still happens in our schools today because of dress codes. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> senior and we would park. Um, I, I would get a ride a lot of the time from my friend uh, and we would park underneath the cathedral in the cathedral parking lot. And there was a brother <clears throat> who would monitor the parking lot. And if, if you were late, oh my gosh, he'd make sure you knew you were late, but he would also check our skirt lengths, hmm. which was always kind of, I don't know, awkward. Yeah. Um, and he was this very tall. Um, I don't know. He had this very like commanding presence mm-hmm. and he was kind of scary, honestly. <laughs> and you would always, you just didn't want to have to, you know, interact with, with this brother, because it was just, uh, it was like, just not something that you really wanted to deal with. So you always felt like as a girl that there was a different standard for yeah. what, how you were supposed to present yourself and how long your skirt was supposed to be. And, 
And I may be making this up, but my recollection is you'd have to kneel down on the ground. And if your skirt didn't touch the sidewalk, you would be, you would get a dress code detention. So, you know, like that, that's the stuff that I remember. I don't remember girls wearing pants. We mostly wore skirts. Like dress code was very different back then. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but I remember that those are the things I remember about gender where I really felt like I knew that women, there were different um, expectations or different standards Hmm. for us. Um, how did you feel that your ethnicity impacted your SHC experience? I'm biracial. So my mom is Nicaraguan and my dad is Caucasian, basically Portuguese and like Western European. Um, and so when I was growing up, what's kind of strange is I, having grown up in San Francisco, like I, I identified mostly as Nicaraguan American because that's my, the kind of cultural tradition that I grew up in, the household mm-hmm. I grew up in. Um, but my friend group wasn't, did, I didn't necessarily identify or I wasn't drawn to other, um, Latino students, like the mm-hmm. group of kids, I think often, I don't know how it is now, if you would say this is true, but I felt like back then because, um, so many of the classes were kind of tracked, like in my in, at presentation, our school was so small. So you'd only have like one section of honors English, one section of honors, you know, algebra two, mm-hmm. one section of AP US history. And so if you were in that track, those are the people that you saw all the time. Mm. So when I was at Prez, I mean, my friend group ended up being a lot of mostly the kids who were in the same classes as me, which mm-hmm. happened to be a lot of honors and AP courses which happened to be honestly, mostly Caucasian students, mm. um, and some Asian American students. <clears throat> so my peer group kind of came out of my course schedule mm-hmm. initially. Um, I mean, I was at, at you know, Prez, I was friendly with everybody, but, uh, and it was a very diverse high school. Um, at SHC, there was diversity and people were friendly, but it wasn't my peer group. Like my friend group wasn't um, predominantly Latino, mm. mostly white, mm-hmm. um, and, and Asian American, Filipino mostly. Mm-hmm. So I, what's weird is like, I don't remember race coming up for me, at least in school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I left. Like when I, um, after Sacred Heart Cathedral, I went to City College because, as I said, nobody told me I should apply to UCs or state schools or there was financial aid for someone like me, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went to um, City College, San Francisco. And then from there, I, I transferred to my four-year college, which was at uh, University of Oregon in Eugene. So growing up in San Francisco, I just assumed the world was the way the world looked <laughs> in my world, right? Which mm-hmm. is diverse, which is Central Americans and Mexican-Americans and, and Filipinos and Chinese and Japanese and um, East African and, you know, like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to Oregon and I was like, whoa, okay. The world is not like San Francisco. <laughs> and that's probably when I actually started to realize that, that race is a thing, right. Mm-hmm. That race that people pick up on differences based on the curl of your hair or the, you know, color of your skin mm-hmm. or the, friend group that you hang out with. And I think when I went away is when I finally realized like, oh, I do really identify more with my, my ethnic background than I realized. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of had taken it for granted. I think in high school, it, it, it just wasn't an issue for me mm-hmm. at the time. And so it only became an issue when 
I was confronted by prejudice or racism mm. or, you know, whatever that would be. Yeah. Were there other aspects of your identity um, that played a larger role in shaping your experience at SHC? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that being a first generation college student definitely mm-hmm. shaped me. As I said, like I was the kind of student who needed guidance. Like mm-hmm. I needed someone to kind of show me the path that said, okay, here's how you apply. Here's why I think you should consider a four-year college. You know, at the time I was pretty bitter about mm-hmm. it, honestly, that nobody really cared to, to be a guide for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually lasted that, that, that bitterness, I think of feeling like I missed out that lasted for quite a bit, like up until I transferred, I was pretty not happy with how, how life had turned out. Cause I felt like I had worked hard in high school and mm-hmm. I thought I was going to go away. And, um, so that, that definitely played into my experience in high school. Um, I think honestly being Catholic, um, being, being the daughter of a, a very mm, traditional mm-hmm. Nicaraguan Catholic mother, mm-hmm. I think that really shaped, um, I think my need to kind of push against what was expected of me as a high school student, like, um, you know, if, if my mom had had her way, like I would be a very devout Catholic, you know, no, not dating in high school, not doing anything that someone (laughs) under the age of 21 should be doing. You know, my mom wanted me to be this, you know, perfect mirror of who she thought a a good girl was. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I definitely in high school butted up against that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to be frank, I think I really struggled a lot with body image. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I've, yeah, I, I struggled with that. And that, that played out for myself in many, many ways in high school mm-hmm. where I didn't have very good self-esteem. I think people thought that I did, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those are those are some ways where, some areas that I think impacted my high school experience where maybe I didn't make the best choices because mm-hmm. of those things. Um, can you recall any teachers who addressed um, issues of race, um, ethnicity, or gender um, in the classroom? I The two teachers where I felt like gender would have come up or where I would have felt like teachers would have called students out were in AP English with um, Marianne Berry. Um, she was one of my favorite teachers of Mm -hmm. all time. Um, and I feel so lucky because she now works at Justin Siena where I work and, and she's on our faculty at our school now. And I I just think our students are so lucky to have her, um, because she was great. And I got her right at the beginning of her teaching experience, but, um, definitely I remember Miss Barry highlighting like gender roles Mm. in some of the literature we would read. Mm -hmm the way that characters were treated in literature mm-hmm. that we read. Um, and then Susan Urschler is the other person. And I took, actually, she had been a teacher at presentation mm-hmm. when I was there. And then when Prez closed, she moved over to SHC. And I took Spanish with her at Prez. And then I took psychology with her at SHC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's so much like a direct... Like we probably talked about machismo in in, mm. in, in high and when I was at Fresno, I was taking Spanish class. We would talk about culture and stuff like that. We, I'm sure we would have talked about that in her class. Um, 
but in, I mean, I just, her presence, it wasn't even necessarily that she, I don't remember talking about it directly in psychology because it was so long ago, but I just feel like she treated students fairly. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's where I probably would have noticed it the mm-hmm. most, like a very equitable classroom. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. But like talking specifically about race, I can't remember. And what's interesting is like, if I think about what was happening in 1991, um, I cheated a little bit and I was looking up, okay, what was going on in the world? <laughs> and the fall of my senior year was the Clarence Thomas Anita Hill case. It was October mm. 1991. And like you, you think about um, Justice Kavanaugh and that mm-hmm. hearing, like add race to that conversation. And that's what it was like to watch the Anita Hill mm-hmm. um, trial. And I remember that happening because I was really interested in government and history and politics and stuff. And and I remember being outraged and not understanding why anybody would not believe this woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but I don't really remember if it was something we we talked about at school. Um, You know, I think a lot of times, I mean, having worked in education now for so long, I think a lot of times educators forget or they, they assume that teenagers can't deal with hmm. these difficult topics or we they don't have the intellectual capacity to mm-hmm. really wrap their head around really complex adult topics like um, sexual assault and racism and um, misogyny and all those things. But mm-hmm. I was ready to talk about those things at that time. And I was curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, I, I feel like there were probably a lot of missed opportunities to really address like social challenges that we were going to face becoming adults mm-hmm. um, to kind of educate us and empower us um, to, to not be afraid to have those conversations. I, I definitely, I mean, I learned that once I got to college, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it was too early to have those conversations when I was a senior in high school. Hmm. Um, looking back, do you think your high school experience played a role in what you do right now for a living? Oh, I, without a doubt, (laughs) without a doubt. So, so when I got into education, it was really, um, in many ways, it was like kind of a, for lack of a better word, it's like a middle finger to my college counselor. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I, I, nobody helped me Mm -hmm. and I really felt like I needed someone to be like a guide, like if, I mean, in biblical terms, like a shepherd, right? Like somebody who was going to say, oh, go this way, do this, fill this out, consider this, you know, to just pose the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my, my first job after college was um, working for a Dominican university in college admissions. And I was the multicultural recruitment coordinator so I would go to high schools all over California, but especially in high, um, highly diverse neighborhoods and communities and high schools mm-hmm. and community colleges as well. So I went to Santa South Bay, San Jose. I went to Costa, Costa County. I went to Central California where there were a lot of migrant communities. Mm-hmm. And I would talk to, you know, I would do regular recruiting for Dominican, but I would also use those as opportunities to just educate the high school students I was meeting about what does it mean to go to college and Mm -hmm. whether it's Dominican or Cal or, you know, Long Beach State, I didn't care. I mean, obviously my school wanted me, my (laughs) college wanted me to care because I'm recruiting for them, but 
But in my mind, it was really like, I don't want a student to leave my workshop not knowing that they can go to college. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so that really was initially the motivation was um, I just felt like I had missed out and I wanted to make sure nobody else did. And I remember in those first two years, um, like I've just always been the person who's like, oh, this is not working for you. You need more information. Okay, well, I'll meet you after school and um, I'll meet you in the counseling center after school. And let me walk you through the the FAFSA. Mm -hmm. And I've just always, I don't know. I've just always been that person. I'm, I'm, I care a lot about removing barriers for kids. Um, and so, yes, I was an admissions counselor, but I also was, I think, trying to just encourage kids to think about the possibilities of mm-hmm. college because I knew it had made a difference for me. And I knew yeah. that even if my first job out of college wasn't going to be this lucrative, you know, amazing position, I knew that I was doing something that I actually, that I felt like was making a difference. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel good about what I was doing. So um, that's how I ended up in admissions. And then from that, I went back to school and got my master's degree in education policy because I thought, oh, I want to, I want to address like the public education system as a whole and figure out how do we make sure that every public high school student has an accessible counselor so they can get the support they need in their schools. Um I ended up shifting gears and working in nonprofits and then ultimately in high schools, but it always was about access. Like Mm -hmm. I always have felt like my, my vocation in my life is about helping young people, especially people on the margins. So students Mm -hmm. of color, first to college students, um, differently abled learners. Like it's always been my, belief that I'm, I'm meant to help and, and guide and shepherd those kids in a way that I wasn't in high school. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the benefits of being a woman of color um, on your path to where you are today? And what have been some of the challenges? Mm. Interesting question. Um, so I think one of the benefits has been that I see the world and experience the world differently from the mainstream. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you're thinking about intersectionality, right. Which is something that I know you're curious about, you know, there are many layers to who I am, right. That I'm, I'm a woman. I am first generation to college. I am biracial. I am Nicaraguense. I am Catholic with issues. Like, you know, I have all, all these layers to who I am. Um, and I have, I've always tried to see that as a, as a real, a a blessing, right. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think what it's done is it's allowed me to find commonality with pretty much everybody that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. So I feel like one of my strengths, um, professionally is my ability to, build relationships and create connections and to build trust very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like I think because I am a very open person, I don't really, um, I'm not ashamed of things that I've done or, you know, I feel like someone can learn something from all the stupid things that I've ever done in my life. Like I've, I've, I've always been pretty much an open book and, and a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that, that we don't have the time to go into. <laughs> um, but talking for me, communicating and being authentic Mm-hmm. never ever marched me down the wrong path. Like it's always, it's always mm-hmm. been my best 
um, I think a talent, I don't know, a skill that I have, which is to just not be afraid to be honest. Mm -hmm. And that, that has, you know, some, it's, it's been important as a college advisor to like have that honest conversation to say, I don't think you should go to the school. This is why I don't think you should, or, you know, whatever it is like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, giving guidance to a, a kid on a relationship, like, you know, using my own experiences and, and, and trying to, I don't know, shed light on those things. I think that's, that's actually been a real gift. And what's interesting is I was so almost scarred as a young woman, not going to a four-year college right away. Like uh, all my friends were like, why isn't Andrea going to a four-year college? Like she's, you know, whatever, like she should be going to a four-year college. And, and I didn't go because we couldn't afford it. And um, I was very ashamed by that Mm -hmm. as a young woman. But, you know, now I realize there was a reason for that to happen. Like, Mm -hmm. had I not gone to City College, I wouldn't have been so desperate to leave California. And I wouldn't have gone to Oregon. I wouldn't have met your dad. You wouldn't be here. You know, Mm -hmm. all those things I've come to realize have been really good things for me. Mm -hmm. But also, even more importantly, is, um, you know, I was proof for many high school students that I've worked with over the years that... um, it's okay to go to a community college. Community college is college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just the first step in a path, right? For you. And, and I, I think it's been one of the, one of the things in terms of my like intersecting identities that has been the most impactful for all kids, not just kids of color mm-hmm. um, or first generation kids, but white students, um, students whose parents went to college who don't understand what the community college system is about. Like, that, that has been a real blessing for me, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenges of being a woman and a woman of color um, are, are also a lot. Like I have had people tell me that I should not be too ambitious, mm-hmm. that I have children and that I should make sure that I'm present to my kids before I go and commit to taking on more work responsibilities. Women have said that to me professionally. Mm. Um, women I really admired, actually, um, that I really felt would have been more supportive of me wanting to um, like accelerate in my career, advance mm-hmm. in my career. Um, I have had employers or mentors say to me that, you know, I don't want to be a one trick pony. And there was this time in my life where I, I, and I I still do, I I care very much about equity and social justice and making sure that our schools are accessible. And I remember people saying to me like, oh, well, if you want, if you want to advance, you know, professionally, you can't just be the person who does student of color stuff (laughs) (laughs) or, um, you know, that you have to branch out, you have to have more experiences of that. And Honestly, that wasn't good advice because the fact of the matter is like, I was really good at that work mm-hmm. and our schools are desperate. I mean, you look at what our schools need to do now, which is to advance a DEI agenda. Mm-hmm. And this is stuff that I've been doing in our schools for 15 years. And it's, you know, my feeling about all that has been, okay, finally, schools like Justin Siena and Sacred Heart Cathedral finally realized like, yeah, we really haven't been doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, there were barriers for me earlier in my career, but now um, I think our schools have caught up to where I'm at and where my thinking is about the kind of schools we should be, the kind of equitable schools we should be. And so now I think 
it's kind of come full circle and that skill set and my experience and my perspective is really valued. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wish it had been valued all along, but um, I'm a patient person. So <laughs> it's worked out. What advice would you give to young women of color at SHC today? Um, I would say use your voice. Um, there's nothing wrong in making waves. There's nothing wrong in challenging the status quo. And I think that it's important to, you know, speak truth to power. I remember that, that term, I learning that term when I was in college, I was like, Ooh, I like that speak truth to power because the fact of the matter is like women of color in positions of power, even in schools, it's especially Catholic schools, almost non-existent. Um, it's, it's probably one of the most frustrating things that I feel about our assigned schools is that our administrative leaders were just not really keeping pace with the students that we're serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you know, if you think about your relationship as a young woman, as a student in your school, you are a client, you are a customer, right? You are, you are paying, I don't care what you're paying, whether you're paying hundred dollars a month or $2,000 a month you have a relationship with your school where you expect a certain level of service, right? Mm -hmm. Which is your courses, your teachers, the quality of your teachers, the student activity experiences that you, that you have access to the, um, you know, athletic experience, whatever that is, like you are a customer, you are a client, your teachers, your administrators, your coaches are there to serve you. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say not to say that everyone is in a lot, a little bit of grace, but like, if, if you're not getting what you need out of that education, don't settle mm-hmm. for anything. Yeah. You need to use your voice and, and let people know that what you're getting isn't enough or it's not going to prepare you for what you need for your future. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I guess, again, like looking back at my own experience, I wish I would have used my voice more. I should have turned back around in that college counselor's office and said, so you're not going to talk. You don't want to know anything about me. <laughs> Do you know my name? Like yeah. I should have, that's how I felt, but I wasn't empowered enough to do that at that time. And I wish I had been, and I wish somebody would have told me march back in there and mm-hmm. tell that guy, tell that guy <laughs> to, to provide you with some service because I was owed that yeah. as a student there. Um, okay, now I'd like to share one of my favorite quotes with you by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. And she said, I think it's important to move people beyond just dreaming into doing. You have to be able to see that you are just like them and you made it. Um, and so looking at this quote, um, were there any teachers of color during your time at SHC? And if so, were they adults you looked up to? I don't think I had any mm-hmm. um, at Sacred Heart Cathedral in that year. I don't think I did. Um, I wish that wasn't the case. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of who the teachers of color, not even women of color, but like teachers of color, like Mr. Sanchez was there teaching Spanish, but I, I don't think I took Spanish that year. And I'm sure there were other teachers teaching at the time and I didn't, I didn't have him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's one of the, one of the things we need to change about schools is, you know, the only Asian American teacher at a school shouldn't be the Japanese teacher or the Mandarin exactly. teacher. 
the only um, Latinx teacher should not be the Spanish teacher. Um, and, 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 you know, often that is the case in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it's unfortunate because yes, I mean, representation matters. Absolutely. And, and I think my experience as an educator has kind of reinforced that mm-hmm. like who, who would seek me out when I first started working in schools were students of color. Um, Mm -hmm. And partly that's also because those would be the activities I would most engage in. So like doing service immersion trips to the border, sign Mm -hmm. me up. That's (laughs) stuff that I would do as an educator. When I've worked in schools, that's what I want to do. Moderating a club for women, sign me up. I want to be moderating that club. Um, Moderating the Multicultural Student Alliance at LaSalle, Milwaukee, sign me up. I want to do that. Starting a farm worker immersion, sign me up. Like, like I'm going to be drawn to the things that matter to me. And right. because I'm a woman of color, it's often going to draw other students of color. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I don't remember any faculty of, of color that impacted me personally when I was a student there. Um, and, and certainly, I mean, that may have had an impact on why I think my experience that year wasn't all that great, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, would you re- elaborate on the portion where you said that you believe representation matters? I, I, I think it matters because it's one, when you have um, certainly in this case, women of color who are, who are in leadership positions or in the front of your classroom or in an administrative role on your, on your campus, you begin to see that what is possible, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, when I was a student at Sacred Heart Cathedral, my, my recollection is probably that the Latino teachers, there was, oh, I remember now, there was a math teacher. Mrs. Yamas, I think, was teaching there. Um, I didn't have her, but now I do remember, but I didn't know her because I didn't mm-hmm. have her class. And so, like, okay, so the problem is if you only have two or three and you have a school of two, 1,200, that, right. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, there needs to be a mass, right? It can't be the needle in the haystack and I got to go figure out who this Miss mm-hmm. Yamas is so I know who the right. who the faculty of color are, right? Um, but the other challenge you have is that a lot of times our custodial staff are the Latinx um, staff members on our campus. And, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, for a lot of students, those, those staff members, whether they're treated as staff and part of the community or not by the school, are invisible. Yeah. So that, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily help the challenge either, right? That we're talking yeah. about in terms of representation. So it's complicated, um, but it's not that hard. And the fact of the matter is we have, we have as, as a school, SHC has probably graduated a ton of students who've gone on to get credentials and are mm-hmm. teachers and they're not teaching at SHC. And the question is why? Mm-hmm. Are they applying and not getting jobs? Or are they not interested because we don't have a culture at SHC that would entice them or encourage them to come work there? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the those are the questions that I think any school, not just SHC, needs to answer mm-hmm. and analyze and understand. Like how what have we done to promote a more diverse faculty and staff, um, and where have we missed the mark? Mm-hmm to make sure that our staff represents the beautiful diversity of that school and of the city. Well, that was a great answer. (laughs) Um, Okay, and then I'd like to just move on to one last little speed round set of questions. 
Um, mm. So my first is, who was your favorite teacher at SHC? Marianne Berry. <laughs> what was your favorite class? AP English Lit. Um, do you have a favorite memory? I mean, probably Air Band. That was pretty fun. And I actually liked getting disqualified because we were, <laughs> we were dancing too provocatively. That's why we got DQ'd. <laughs> but that was a fun night. I remember that night. It was really fun. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite SHC tradition? I mean, I, I think the Mahoney Bruce is... <laughs> I think it's um, it's something that over decades, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody knows, everybody knows the Bruce Mahoney. Yeah. Like uh, all over the city. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's probably one of the things I think is the coolest. And I don't think you even under, can understand like what, what you're part of this tradition as an as alum, soon to be alum of, of Sacred Heart Cathedral. Like everybody knows that that competition, that rivalry. And I think that, um, I wish my school that I work at, I wish we had something like that, Mm -hmm. that just ties all of these generations of students together. Mm -hmm. I I don't know that we really have that, even though we're about a a third of how old your school is. Um, I just remember going to those games. Oh, walkathon was really fun too, actually. But again, I was doing things I wasn't supposed to do at walkathon. So I think that's (laughs) why I may have had more fun at walkathon than you ever did. Um, I enjoy the but, walk-a-thon. Yeah, no, you do okay for different reasons. <laughs> for different reasons. Um, yeah, that was that was a fun day too because I remember we got out early and then everybody mm-hmm. went to the beach and we had a good time. So um, yeah, I again I remember socially feeling like my senior year was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of you know dances and games and going to parties and. Um, just feeling like a kid. Yeah. I, I, I definitely felt like I, I took full advantage of the the good fun and the bad fun that that teenagers <laughs> have in high school. And I am grateful to you for not putting me through all the things <laughs> that my parents through. <laughs> um, okay, lastly, what book do you recommend all SHC students read? Uh, my favorite book this year uh, has been Undocumented Americans. That's mm-hmm. been a, ex- an extremely eye-opening um, read for me. It's written by um, a young woman who is uh, a, was a DACA student. She um, was an immigrant, parents are immigrants from Central America. And um, she basically documents and chronicles the experience, not of DACA students or dreamers, um, but of laborers all over the country who, who are part of that invisible minority um, who work so hard, have no rights at all, and who are really the backbone of American society because they do the work that nobody else is willing to or wants to do. Mm. Um, so it's a great book. It's very, I, I love the cover describes it as like punk um, journalism. So she, it's very raw. She's when she wrote it, she was like 23, um, but it's just masterful um, writing. She's, she's just great. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I highly recommend it because I think it's a perspective that many people don't get. I think it's easy to, um, understand the plight of dreamers because they're young and they're brought here, um, you know, without any voice. Um, but people who choose to come here because they need to work because they need to flee whatever conditions or situations that they're coming from and in, Central and South America and Mexico. I mean, I think to to better understand that experience is mm-hmm. is to everybody's. Mm-hmm. 
it. So that's been my favorite read this year. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me about your experience at SHC um, and everything that came after that. <laughs> Welcome. I love you. Love you too. Thank you so much to my mom for joining me today. And a big thank you to the listeners for checking out my podcast and spreading the word. My hope as a soon-to-be SHC graduate is that our community will continue to work towards improving the experience of all students who walk through our doors and take away something new from each of my guests on how SHC can continue to support and affirm young women of color. Go Irish!